one, two, three. Okay. Okay, well, good morning, and let's uh, put our time in prayer. Well, Father God, we just do uh, praise you this morning, and Lord, we just love you. Thank you so much for, uh, Father, the privilege to be in your presence and to come to you in prayer. Lord, our hearts uh, just well with um, just joy, and our hearts just well with um, in worship unto you. Father, we <clears throat> find um, ourselves in just in need of constant reminders, and yet uh, just so pertinent to this particular passage in our study that it just continues to bring you into the focal points of our minds and our hearts. Father, that is at the heart of the message. So we just thank you for Jesus Christ. That's the center of our lives. Father, is salvation that's been provided through him, um, even in our time today, will bring us again into further clarity of the completion of that uh, through Peter's teaching. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, the privilege that we can share in it in worship and in fellowship of study and to bring application that it does conform us more and more to the image of Christ. Father, it is changing of us, and yet we are reminded that we need nothing more and nothing else. Father, we thank you for uh, the, the privilege that we can commit to prayer for our family and friends and those that we know our need of prayer. We just think of Mick um, in our fellowship here. Uh, I was unable to be here, and we just do pray for wisdom for the, uh, the physicians and the specialists that are uh, working to diagnose his situation. Lord, we know that you're in complete control of his situation, and we submit uh, him to you. Father, we just pray if you're, uh, just for added measure of grace and mercy to him as uh, he is... Uh, anxious to know, um, to just know, and so that he would know that you're present with him and that uh, you are sovereign through all this. And so I just do pray uh, for uh, just the days ahead for him. I pray for Betty too as she returns and for her uh, even contact and continue to pray for her as uh, Father, she just would rather be with him and yet we know that uh, it's your will for this to go forward this week. So. Thank you for our time today. I just pray your spirit will lead in our continued study of Second Peter. And this we commit in uh, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've been last week we we began this continued study in Second Peter. And we, last week we, we focused on some, some introductory aspects of this in verses one, uh, chapter one, verses twelve to fifteen. What I thought we would do today is uh, just by quick, quick reminder going back through uh, the passage and the, the key, three key sections of the passage that we had looked at and our introduction to the first uh, four passages beginning in chapter tw- uh, 1 verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I also will be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to him by the, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But now this, first of all, all that pro- all no, excuse me, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We started with our reminder, and as we continue in our, our, our study of the verses here, we will transition into the aspect of second section of the eyewitness is itself, and then finally into the inspiration. Our objective, as we highlighted last week, and I've added to this a little bit this week, is that our objective is, as what we our takeaway from what God would want us to learn, is that we would be constantly focusing on the truth that God has given us, that we need nothing new, we need nothing more, we need nothing else. We need constant reminders of the, of the Word, and the testimony of the eyewitnesses were fully credible is this transition that we'll take today into verses 16 through 18. And that nobody, nobody makes up a story. No one made up a story. No one fooled them. They were there. These eyewitnesses were there. They saw it. They heard it. It happened. You can believe it. And so I, when I make this type of, of an opening objective type statement, in many senses, it's as we look at the reminders of things, that those observations, those things that we hear, really carry us into a whole another level of comprehension and understanding. As we looked at this basic call for remembrance of the basic truths, we said that this first, in going back to last week's handout there, these first several passages that Mark opened up with in verses 3 to 11, and then what he transitioned here is that this particular path, it brings this back to what those first instructions were in that letter. He points, Peter points us back to what he wrote in verses 3 to 11, while encouraging his readers that they know these things that he gives by way of reminder. So those foundational truths that he had identified, which was primarily salvation, and the completion of salvation will be as this foundation. And this is what he's going to bridge us towards in this letter. As it then goes forward into chapter 2, which is that of bridging us to the body of the letter regarding those false prophets. And somewhat sets up the letter as this last will and testament. And we talked about that last week as it relates to some of the Old Testament passages and the framework for what we would see in that last will and testament. And we, these were just some of the points that we identified, the elements of those. It's the predictions of one's death, which we'll see in this passage. The prediction of a future crisis, which has been essentially what he's been talking about all along in First Peter and going on now as it leads further to even the false teachers. There's this encouragement to continue on, 
and that will again be part of our focus today. And the need for here is to remember the teaching, and blessing obviously is tied to this. And so as far as 12 and 15 is concerned, this word of remembrance um, is the key and this emphasis on biblical doctrine and the responsibility that we have to remember it. And this theme of remembrance that we said we saw where Jesus himself told it to the 12, remembering the word. Paul, to the Ephesian elders, remember the words of the Lord. Peter, Peter, um, again in Acts 11, to the Jerusalem church, then remembered I, the Lord of the Lord. When Jesus was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said in John 2, 22. And in Jude 5, a very similar type passage what we see in 2 Peter, I will therefore be, put you in remembrance. And then Peter says in 3, 1, and I write to you by way of remembrance. So we need these reminders, even things as we already know them, because we have a tendency to forget but if we continue to look, continue to be reminded of this, it really serves as a great foundation for us and uh, something that is important for us going forward. And so this is where we left it off, right, Up to this point. So I skipped through that five minutes. took about an hour last week, right? So we'll, I don't know why the hang-up on things. But I really, if you remember your homework assignment, right, and you all remembered your homework assignment, Right? No. Okay. Well. Mary did. <laughs> See, we need reminders, don't we? I, I, all week I've been kind of doing my little things I had to write down. So you make yourself notes. Is you, you have technology. You put things into technology and you still need reminders of things. So I thought what we would do is just spend a little bit of time looking at this. Because the statement, which was the, how we want to kind of open up the discussion today, was the fact is, is that, okay, I understand, Dave, you know, this, you keep talking about reminders. When we see in Scripture that Peter, within three little verses, will keep saying repeatedly, remember. Verse 12, remind you. I think it is long in verse 13, reminding you again. Verse 15, that be, you always have a reminder of these things. So in the very ver- first introductory verses that we have, he keeps repeating the same thing. In fact, he'll say it again. We see this over and over again. And so therefore, my question to you, and my question to myself was, as I look at this, is that, well, am I well established? Okay? Because he's going to talk about the fact that is that many times as believers, depending on where you're at in your spiritual walk, is that we ourselves can come to this place of we're being someone. I'm, I'm established. I've been a Christian for a long number of years. Do I really need these reminders? I've studied this over and over again. And I think that what our answer to that is, if we were honest with each other, is that the great thing about the Holy Spirit is that it continues to teach us. We continue to have this value that comes with this Holy Spirit continuing to work us through the very passages that you've read over and over and over again. Because it finds us where we have that need. And that is the great thing about Scripture. And so, I think about that question. Do we need a reminder? And the answer is yes. 
And so I thought we'd look at, for the purpose of discussion, is to review and discuss Paul's call for remembrance of Timothy. Now, let's just, for the sake of saying, is that Timothy, what do I know about him? Okay? Give me some, what do you know about Peter? So, first question, do you, excuse me, not Peter, Timothy, would you say that Timothy needed reminders? He did, but I would think that based on his position, his calling, his ministry, his being with Paul for all the latter chapters of Acts, that why would he need a reminder and would he not be established? So let's just kind of do this thing. So open up with me to Second Timothy and let's just share some observations of things. And I've got a few to kind of guide us through this. But at the same time, I want to invite your thoughts on this. So let's start, first of all, with a gentle reminder about something. When I think about Timothy, I'm reminded, first of all, of the fact is, is that here is a. I look at. I'm going to start right back up um, in verse five of chapter one of Second Timothy. So Paul writes to Timothy, "I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears." that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwell first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. And then another reminder for me is going forward on there, when I think about Timothy, give us a little bit of that background, is that in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, He says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise from salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what was it like when Timothy was growing up? He heard the Scriptures a lot. Okay. He had, yeah, again, what I I liked about this is that he remembers something. Okay, in other words, what Paul writes there. He says, Which dwell first with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Okay, so... He was in a household of believers in that he was, from his childhood, he was being taught the scriptures. So, I would think that he would be established, pretty established as a believer, right? So, uh, when I think about his preparation about his mother, and then I take that over to some of the preparation that he had with Paul, and ultimately from God is that here I would believe is a very grounded person. Look at verse 6 of 2 Timothy 1. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God had gifted Timothy. So you had a very strong home life, okay? You had his mom teaching him the scriptures that, that was affirmed here. You had Paul that personally handpicked him, mentored him, 
what Timothy experienced in his ministry with Paul. Think about that. What he saw Paul do. I mean, literally, the miracles, the teaching, the constant reminders of the teaching. And then to hear even there that he, Paul has recognized him as that you are a gifted man of God. So, the preparation of it, I, I wanted to simply say, is that when we think about is he well established and, and does he need a reminder, is that we would say that he's very well established. But yet, when we read some of the aspects of this particular uh, letter, is that we can't help but have takeaways that there are many, many reminders. And potentially, some of those reminders do reflect on some of the challenges that were recognized in Timothy's ministry or the ministry that was ahead for him. Okay, so what are some observations? Just I'll let you start, and, and maybe I'll, I, I'll jet, I had a couple that jot down here. Let me just, and this, there's no exact five answers here, by the way, so you can jot down anything you'd like in here. But uh, what are some of your thoughts? Well, like, Paul kept mentioning, like, don't be ashamed, sure of, or, like, afraid of. Uh, also, I think he feels like he's teaching us. Yeah, it, it actually, it, it shows up, you know, a few times in there. And so, what is he ashamed of? Is, 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 he, a, is he ashamed of Paul in his ministry? Is he ashamed of the teaching part of it himself, of, of that message? When you would make that, in other words, what is it that he's doing is in a situation is that, is that uh, if that is in our lives, it is a flesh response. In other words, my flesh is what's not allowing me to express that or to say, well, you know, Jesus, I don't want to be with you because I'm ashamed of you. Well, why? Because you are a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. I'm going to shy away from that. And if you think about even how Peter's initial reaction was to Jesus, even when himself, when he was confronted, and the denials himself was that he was ashamed to associate with Jesus. That's how we, we read those, as one example. Okay, that's an excellent one. Other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being younger. Yeah, when I, I thought about that, you know, he he probably was. Uh, I, I don't know the ages; they don't give the exact ages. But when when Paul really pulled him in to be a part of his ministry, he was probably in his teens. So he's a very young person, and there obviously is a, an age differential. So he, that in itself, he may have felt inferior. And you're right; that type of fear is not. It's, a, it's the wrong fear. It, it is a, an aspect of a timidity, of a shameness as far as no confidence type of fear. So, again, let's, let's make a connection between the aspect of a shameness, of being ashamed. That's not even a word, is it? A shameness? It is. It is today. Okay. Run it through the, your, uh, your, your thesaurus, right? It must be true if you can run it through your thing, right? It's like, it's like the words with friends. If you can make it fit, it works. It must be. Okay. Um, the ashamed and the fear, you can make a connection in there of the flesh. Okay, they're, they're, That is a common factor. So some of those challenges in himself is that, and then as I read a little bit further into the book, is that he, he talks about 
running from lust, right? Again, it may have been some fleshly types of challenges that he had had. Great. Others? Other thoughts? Timothy, like all the rest of us, was a human walking a tightrope every night. Coming into some form of ministry as a teenager could have been tremendously putting him apart from his peers. He would have been tempted by his peers to go one direction. Paul was pulling him in another direction, which had to have been working on him all every day. Because he was asked to go in a different direction from his peers. Let me ask you, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. You're in the, you're in the military. Okay, and I'm going to take you back to your, your first basic training time, okay? And you had some those that were in authority over you, your sergeants or your drill sergeants or wherever. What was their objective? The objective was to take me out of the norm into a new team, a new norm. Exactly what Paul was doing with Timothy. Trying to take him to a new normal. Paul, I asked you that question, and thank you for answering That was not set up, by the way. Verse verse 3, verse 3 of chapter 2. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He was. That's exactly. He was totally. And this good soldier, this is this aspect of being all in. That there was no vacillating whatsoever in his life. It's like nothing. You're going to war. That's what they're trying to teach you. And when you say in that basic training, I quit, there's no option. You're all in. And they're going to, you're going to keep pushing. That's what my vision is of what, when Paul is writing this, what he really meant by this. Because then he says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. You cannot deal with what is going on in this plane. It's not horizontal. Timothy, it is vertical. It's vertical. This is the focal point. And you're looking here. That's where fear, ashamed responses, timidity. Curious. Uh, I mean, with Paul, uh, but also the charge, you're more, you have a tendency toward, and I don't know. Obviously, they saw, but I see that also part of the flesh. I think Paul knew that he had a mother and a grandmother had given him the foundation. And now Paul was trying to build on that foundation to make, to help Timothy make a commitment. No, I was saying, like, I think also what God used, you know, God used Paul and like, knew that this, like he's talking about day in and day out, you've got to understand your reading teaching stuff, but it's when God, you know, mm. was, was L- let me Let me tie it in. Okay, let me tie it in because we can go on. Well, let me tie it into Peter's objective in here. There's a there's an aspect of doctrine too that we haven't really touched on yet. When you look at verse 13 of Second Timothy one, he says, "Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus." And then here you have this doctrinal base, but then skipping over to chapter two. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself, approve to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here it is. But shun 
profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Do you see the foundational aspects of this exhortation in this letter? Because what is coming is the false teaching. And you have to be ready strong in that doctrine. It's the same, there's a lot of commonality, the same exhortation that we see. So some of the other things I just listed here that we touched on, there was the one that you talked about, he seemed ashamed of, of, of potentially whether it was the Lord or Paul. The challenges seem to be unwilling to preach with power because we see this, preach the word in season, out of season. Don't be ashamed. He seemed to vacillate in doctrine, this aspect of sound doctrine. What we, what we don't, uh, we, and we'll talk about it today when we start to look at uh, what is happening in the church, is that, in, again, this aspect of this doctrine, that it was already, Satan was attacking that doctrine. Because it, I think it's, um, if it's, Maybe it's the end. Of, was it First Timothy? I'm trying to remember where. Oh yeah, it was First Timothy. First uh, Timothy four. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. Again, it goes on from there. But the, the point is, is that this has, the importance of sound doctrine is that there was already this call to try to pull away into a vacillating aspect of that doctrine. And then just some of the other things that we just talked about. If he's saying to stir it up, it's not getting stirred up. So it's a good call. He said that there was something that was, whether it's complacent, it was uh, laid down. I, I think I, I put a quote uh, somewhere in the, in the outline uh, from Spurgeon I thought was kind of cute. Not that it's something Spurgeon would do is cute, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't... Paul uh, Paul had built up insulating walls that enabled him to travel a straight course. And Timothy had not built those same walls yet. And he was, I think, vacillating and bouncing back and forth, being influenced by the world around him. And Paul was trying to get him to build those insulating walls and travel a straighter course. The Spurgeon quote is on, is on page 4. It's on the back. It says, when people are, are as they should be, it is worthwhile to stir them up. You do not want to stir up dirty water, but you may stir that which is pure and sweet as much as, ever, well, as, much as you would like. Uh, as, as much as ever you like. As a good fire sometimes becomes a better one uh, a little stirring, by a little stirring up. And so uh, that's this image that I have is, is that when it's not getting stirred up, it's just getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And I think that uh, as believers, this is a great picture that we would have for that stirring up. But in, again, in itself, is that we would take that as a reminder as well as an exhortation, as the takeaway in that letter. So, the reminder more important the on that thought, let's keep moving forward because this focal point is, is the treasure itself. 
as he transitions us into these next couple of verses, he's going to take us to the second coming of Christ, which is this ultimate completion of the treasure of salvation. So, who needs to be reminded of the truth in verse 12? This is, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you. It is you. It's you. It is believers. And the word therefore that we have at the beginning of that, or depending on your version, it says for this reason itself, it is having us look back and it builds on what he has already said in these first 11 verses. And so it really the summarizing of these things itself. And so as if, if we were to summarize in looking at the first 11 verses, I'm just going to point you to a couple of things that are key. In that these things that he is referencing, it is the... The sufficiency of salvation. The believer's inheritance, when you look at 3 and 4, the things that pertain to life, it says, that has given to you. That is an inheritance in verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He says in verses 5 through 9, it focuses on salvation's service. The believer's fruitfulness. In verse 8, for these things are yours and abound. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful. These things that he's reminding them about is this fruitfulness of believers, our service. And then finally, the surety and assurances that we have of believers to salvation surety. Reading on down, look at verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This focus, inheritance, fruitfulness, and assurance. So now as we begin in verse 12 down to verse 21, this focuses on the importance of God's Word and this foundation and this centeredness of God's Word um, in God's people. So therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. How can he, Peter... Be remind, always reminding them, which is a, really a, a present tense type of statement, when he knows that he is soon going to be dying in verse 14. What are your thoughts on that? He says, knowing 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. So when he would make that statement that I will always be reminding you, it's a present tense statement. How can you reconcile that? Tell me, what does that mean? Stop delivering the message. Okay, so it is his mission that until until he does. Okay, so that second part of that is that we know he's going to die. But what else? What, what, the, the fact that it is always. What is that? Isn't this letter to me? See, when you think about this itself, when he's saying this, I will always. He's referring also to the letter. <laughs> it's the letter itself, which is what we have. Is it not still serving as a reminder today and in this morning also? So, Don, you nailed it. In fact, it's gonna, I'm going to take that because that's going to take us to this sense of urgency that he's going to have in how he views even a biblical view to death. Also, I'll throw in here, retirement. And how we view retirement, and yet clearly I'm seeing there is, is that He's not retiring. In fact, until the last day, until God takes him home, he's focused on his ministry. And we have it today. In fact, this stirring up is going to show up again in this passage. Uh, 
I th- okay, just so that I can put age into perspective and so I can not feel really bad, um, Peter's probably 70, maybe lower 70s. I just do the math, you know, based on what I'm reading when some, you know, when a book was written. Okay, that's just the fact of it. So, okay, if you do the math, he's probably around 70. So he's older than me, and he's not retired, so he can, you know, serve as one of our, uh, you know, our, our future, our mentors to kind of get us going through this. Okay. So, just for, is I just I just wanted to give us, to give us a, a perspective on that. Is that as long? And I think Don hit it really good. As long as he is alive, but it is a it's way beyond that in the form of which I'll take us back to the fact that he, what he's saying in here is that well he is an apostle, and the significance of this letter and, and how where it takes us into uh, till today. So it's the perspective also from the readers. So the idea of reminding will be mentioned four more times, and we've looked at some of those passages. And so what he's essentially saying is that you already know these things, but it is essential that we go over them again and again and again. And so this is this value of repetition that we see uh, in Scripture. And I, I just want to, because I have them tabbed, but I'd like you to, of the verses that I have here, I just want to hit on two of them. Okay, first one is Philippians chapter 3. This is for the pastors. <laughs> they like this. These pastors like this verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So here is this preacher. It's over. You're, you're, you're preaching the sermon. You can go and you can... Google, you know, the passage and you want to get a sermon on the same passage and you can get thousands of sermons on the same passage. And each time they'll have different perspectives and the same foundation of Scripture that is in there. And so there is this reminder that it is this repetition. It's not tedious. And yet what will also then take us to this place where Paul, uh, Paul is going to come back to Timothy and saying is that that's not what people want to hear. They want to hear things that are pleasing to them. You mean you're going to go back over the same thing or you're still stuck on verse 14? Move on, let's go. I'm really going to chapter 2. Expository preaching is becoming, may, may become less and less popular. The other one was in, in that Romans passage Chapter 15, verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you at some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministers to the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here again. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you as on some points as reminding you. It is over and over again. So not only do they know these things, they have been established in the truth. And what established means is this aspect of stability. It is this strengthening that we have. And so what sorts of things, kind of a question, and you don't have to always go to these passages in here, but I gave us a couple of guiding passages. But what are some of the things that we would see that established believers or churches in Christ Jesus? What would be some of those? 
Yeah, this, First Timothy three fifteen. That's the the pillar and support of the truth verse. It's uh, a good one. Actually, is a sound. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's the teaching. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. It's the Holy Spirit. That's that's the results of this. Is this church right? That's it's happened in Acts, early parts of Acts. So clearly, the presence of that Holy Spirit. And what we see, the outflow of that is this fellowship in the Word, the teaching. There's this gathering. There is prayer. That is part of it. And so, these passages, as you look at what this would serve, when, when, when again going back to the tie of this, when Peter would say that it is this aspect of being established. That word established, this firm stability, it's, uh, it's like an engineering type of term that it means that you're going, going this way to create that foundation. Um, I'm not a city person, but one of the more my head goes when I like go downtown, city of Chicago, it's not the up part of the buildings. My head thinks about that, you take the Sears Tower, is that how deep do you go? What made me think of this is that you know I was building some Lego you know towers with Alec and you know you got a single thing going all the way up but but once you get really high you know what happens right it's it's not the wind that knocks it over it's just like his hand that knocks it down like this which is that's the wind but without so then I try you know I get smarter I build a foundation right I build it really big and wide so that when he hits it it doesn't it doesn't move as much right. That's that foundation. So it's this wide thing. And so that Sears Tower, it's hundreds and hundreds of feet below ground and wide. And that's why the building's this way in their structure. So think about that image as you look at the strengthening aspect when he is saying that you have been established in truth. So the truth is deep and it's wide. And when that serves as the foundation in the believer's life, that's when he's setting us up for these false teachers that are going to come in chapter 2. You're not, they're not going to move. And that's what Paul was concerned with Timothy because he was saying, look, don't, don't give in to this stuff. In verses 16 and 18, in fact, he starts saying, he said, hey, you know, I, I, Peter says, I, I, I didn't get moved by some of these stories. You know, this is not a story. This is the truth. He goes on, Sure, sorry. Right, that's the strengthening of that. Whoops. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So why do we need reminders of truth? Verses 13 and 15 is that we're just seeing is, is that in those reminders of truth, with that strengthening, that stability, it allows us to be able to respond to the warfare of this life, the spiritual warfare that we're in. It keeps us sound in that. So he goes on and says in verses 12 to 15, it's almost his, his exhortation. He, he says that it's his God-given responsibility and obligation as a servant of Jesus Christ to constantly remind them of that. When he would write that, when he says again in verse, he says that, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. That is a 
it's like a sense of responsibility. It's like it's his duty to do this, his obligation. As long as I am living in this body, and in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 4, Paul also refers to his body as a tent, right? There's, that's this common. So what is this picture that we have of this tent? Why a tent image, do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great point, Ian. Because at the end, of, and we get to these this next version here, we talks about the word departure. It's there that he uh, what does he say in fifteen? Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my departure, and or decrease. Well, that word, what that means, it means like exodus. It's a don't I don't know the Greek, but it's a exodos exodus. Does that sound Greekish? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but what it means is, is that, remember what the Exodus was, was that it was, it was movement. It was from here to there. It was going somewhere. And so that's the significance in this, is that what he was saying is that this tent is a temporary dwelling. It is. We're transient people. And this is why Peter is going to take us to say, it's about... The future kingdom. You're in transit right now. You're moving along ultimately to here, to this place, which he's going to say is ultimately next few verses, the second coming. He's going to keep keep us back to that. So this stirring up that we talked earlier is this picture of or word meaning uh, awakening someone. You're getting them cranked up. You're shaking them a little bit. You're, You're they're asleep. They need to keep them spiritually alert. So Peter is giving us a wake-up call. He's giving his readers a wake-up call. And he feels as though that not only is it his obligation, it is his, when he says that it is his right, it is the rightful role, clearly in scriptures, of the shepherds themselves. You're, you might be most familiar probably with this passage in Ephesians 4. This is the equipping the saints for the work of service verse. Okay, He calls... Uh, he calls some pastors, like some teachers. I don't want to quote, misquote it all the way. You know where I'm at. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here it is. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It was his duty, and it is the role of the shepherds to do exactly what Peter is doing right now. And so when we talked earlier about his, his body himself, it's not about where he's at. So he had this sense of urgency to remind believers because he knew, first of all, that it his, his death was very imminent. It was this last will and testament, more or less. It was his last will and te- testament. And if you could go back with me to John chapter 21, and I want you to, rem- to be reminded of what happened in John 21. What precedes these two specific verses in 18 and 19 is this very challenging talk that he got from Jesus. So when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. 
And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Tough words, but it goes on. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. But most assuredly, in 18, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And if there's a part that you want to underline in there, it is that last part of it. And this is the, the glorifying God. God is going to be, was glorified in Peter's passing, in his death. And it signified, as he said in that passage, of what? And so it was this, this last will and testament that we're reading in Second Peter right now is what you're seeing. You first saw it introduced back in John 21. You see the connection between the two? So what can we learn from Peter's attitude towards death? No fill in the blank here, so. It's interesting, um, in John 21, when you keep on reading, Cheryl, what he says, he goes right to saying, well, Jesus, well, what's going to happen to John? Uh, my buddy John, I'm, you know, he's my, I'm, I love John. What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, don't worry about John. You just worry about yourself. You see, he went horizontal again in his perspective. That's it. That's all that's, Jesus said. Like, great, like, awesome, like, you know, the climax moment, The focal point is what we're seeing now in Second Peter in these passages. It's vertical. It's vertical. So the biblical view of death is, you nailed it. There was no fear, and yet that's as we know Peter, he was nothing but fear. He was ashamed. But yet, that simple call, two words, follow me, is what we take today. It signified the way that he would glorify God in his death. Think of that. I, I, I always looked at the John passage and I'm kind of imaging, you know, the walker, you know, and he's as he's aging, and this is that, you know, what I focused more on the first part of that verse is that how he was going to age out and that he was going to be led by the hand, okay, and that's the image that we have of an elderly person needing the care, right? That's not the focal point of the passage. It's a ministry that's laid before him of which Peter is getting it back now. And that is this sense of urgency. It is the last will and testament. In all of those other examples that we saw in Scripture, Old Testament, of the last will and testament, each one had an urgency behind it. It was the last words that they were going to share. So yeah, it was imminent. We know that. The other aspect of that in this urgency is that what is very real in this circumstance, in the context of this letter, is that persecution under Nero is happening. It's very real. In fact, believe that Peter is in prison as he writes this letter. He's not there reading it to them. Imagine kind of a mental discourse between God. God says, follow me. Peter says, okay, God, I'll follow you everywhere. keeps following because God keeps leading. In view of the brevity of his life and ministry, he was 
relentless. He was relentless in his diligence to remind believers of the truth. Helps us in our view of death. So, and this goes back to what you had said earlier, this departure, and that's kind of what I was just going to go through here. It really just meant this. It meant going from one place to another when he says, he's going to be diligent at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. And so these calling of things to mind, it is, I'm just going to use sort of an educational type term here, it is this overlearning <laughs> that you just keep doing repetitiveness of it. That's how I studied for my final exams. You know, you, you, you cram it in, you pull the all-nighters type thing. He wants these readers to cram it in. Keep those basic truths over and over and over again. So therefore, after his death, they will never forget them. So this transitions us. 8.05 or 10.05, excuse me. So this transitions us to where we will, in your other handout on part two. So I will uh, I will be transitioning Next week, do you know, Mark, if everything's good for next week or we're still good? Okay. So for next week, we will continue with the aspects of this. So in verses 12 to 15, to sort of tie into this, Peter tells his readers, again, we see this, for the rest of their earthly life, there's this constant reminders that we see for these central truths. And that his objectives in there is that it's growth and maturity. It is this aspect of foundation in their own personal lives and our lives as believers in the, the horizontal aspect of the foundation that needs to be this focus. And with that then, because what he's going to take us to now is this focus on the coming again of Christ in glory and to establish the kingdom. So let's continue on and read with us in verses 16 through. Picking back up in 15... He says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decrees. So, picking up in 16, someone could read 16 through 18. Our witnesses of his majesty, my beloved son, with we ourselves heard this very before we were with him on the whole. Okay. What is the foundation that you have? Giving you a, a, a clue. Have the word. And the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. When you think of what we have, okay, is that when you look at our foundation, it is the teaching, it is the teaching of these apostles and the teaching of these prophets. Right? Now, I don't want to get too much into it because it's not about the person. Okay? I'll make that clear up front. It is not about Peter. It is not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's about God. But it is God's chosen apostles and prophets that that is serves as our foundation. And all of this has as its foundation the fact that what Peter says about Jesus Christ is true. Period. And for the remainder then of these next few verses, is that he's just going to lay out for us the evidence and assurances in two specific lines of support. And they were mentioned in the verse very clearly. One is apostolic in verses 16 to 18. He's going to specifically talk about his eyewitness, right? 
And then in verses 19 and 21, as we transition next week into, it is the authority of the prophetic scriptures themselves. You know, when someone would ask me a question and I don't know an answer, if you're like me, what do you do? You get your smartphone and you Google it. Okay, I do the same thing. And whatever pops up, it must be true. Right? It's on the internet. It must be true. Well, is it, uh, isn't that isn't that gospel? <laughs> You've heard that phrase? Well, isn't, you know, it, isn't that gospel? Well, what does that mean, that phrase? It must be true. Right? And so this is Peter's way of saying it's the gospel truth. Because where he's going to take us in this is that I want eyewitness, and then he'll take us to the prophetic authority himself. So the facts to which the apostles and the prophets testify are really serve as the foundations of our Christian faith. In Ephesians 2.20 is an important passage to have as that key reminder for us. Someone can read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Okay, being built up through again, Mark, by... Apostles and prophets, there they are again, the same two that were mentioned there. Paul mentions the same thing as the foundations itself of our Christian faith is what those God-inspired writers put through. And it's for this building up that we see through that. And so the apostles themselves, as mentioned, were the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ in both His person as well as His power. I, I could not even imagine what they saw. Think of one of the most significant things in your life that you've ever witnessed. What was it? Share. The most significant thing that you witnessed, which meant that you were an eyewitness. Birth of a child. Life to death. From creation to life and um, birth. Any catastrophic Examples. I was in a tornado, witnessed a tornado firsthand, watched the destruction, not on a weather channel. Okay, watched it. I was an eyewitness. It's forever in you know etched in my my brain on that, and it affects in so many ways weather. <laughs> For me, other examples. In, in any example and how you've described it, we're listening to you and you're giving us the details of that. It, it's, a, it's a record, it's of your mind of what happened to, the, to much greater detail. Many times when we see things like that, we, you know, anymore we see stuff on TV. We watch life. We, watch, we see death. We see things on, on TV and it doesn't, we become... Calloused. It just doesn't affect it. Until it is something that you see firsthand in a, as a witness where it takes you to the place of it being real. And that record then becomes a fact of remembrance that is different. And what we, under, what we have to be reminded of is, is that when the Spirit worked through these writers, God preserved the record of their testimony so that we might respond in faith to the facts of that. It's like Kathy going like, you're saying, it really happened. 
our, you notice that our, our, our response, our natural human responses to things, it could be anything serious. They say we go, really? That's our, sometimes our response. Really? Well, you say, well, no, I'm just making that up. Of course it's real, but our, we question it automatically. The really part of it is exactly what's coming at these believers is the challenges that are going to try to water down the story of Jesus Christ, the great news. They're going to try to put their own spin on it. And Peter's just saying, uh-uh. I saw it. And so therefore, as a closing stopping point, is that Jesus is this focal point, and He's the one that must be believed. That is this underlying foundation of this passage that I want to make sure is the takeaway. And it, it is about Him because of who He is and what He has done. That's the horizontal foundation. Before we can have this steadfast, established, stable walk is that we have to have these strong footings in the facts. And that's what Peter's going to remind them once again. Okay, so we'll put a marker on this and we'll pick up this for next week. Any thoughts or comments? I get uh, someone to pray. Demar, would you be willing to close us in prayer? Sure. Thank you. Heavenly Father, uh, press again us. Oh, our special time this morning. Amen. Thank you. So we'll see you next week on this.